Well, it's a real pleasure to be with you uh, this morning. First of all, I want to thank you for your willingness to send us teams. Uh, Darlis and I take care of a staff of about 105 people over throughout Eastern Europe and Central Europe with a few scattered around in China and Uganda. And it, it just blesses our hearts when you care enough to send them people uh, to help them with what they want to get done. And so just thank you for that. I realize that costs you and uh, and I just appreciate it very much. Uh, thank you. It wouldn't be right to preach a missions message without starting with Matthew chapter 28. And I'll tell you uh, just straight off that I think this is probably, in my mind, the most abused passage of Scripture, that somehow there are a few that are called, who like to live out of a suitcase, who love to eat foreign foods, who like to travel, maybe some that can't get along in the local church, and the rest of us are free to sit and, and make money and send them which is our role in the Great Commission. International Messengers uh, was started by a a miner's son from up on the Iron Range named Bob Rasmussen, and, and Bob's heart was always that God calls us to go and to make disciples for our sake. He put this command very close to his resurrection very close to the gruesomeness of the cross so that the disciples would know what to do with all that. What to do with that fresh remembrance of what the Lord did on their behalf. And, uh, and so he gives us this command to go and to be involved in going and to be consumed by going, to be chafed by going, to be all about going with everything we are and everything we do. Our heart should be to go, to leave our comfort, to leave our safety, to leave our self-centeredness. Whenever you see the command to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, it starts with deny self. And so I think this command was given to us to rule our lives from the time we take advantage of the cross to the time that we go to meet Jesus or we go into the grave uh, This command was meant to steer us, to help us deal with self, to help us deny, to kill self, so that we would be safe from the culture we live in and safe from getting entrapped in all the traps of self and all the stuff that self can do to us and to our culture. So if this call, if this great commission is not enough, I would like to propose to you this morning, six other calls that I believe are valid. If you don't feel that this call is for your involvement locally, uh, nationally, and internationally in the world of going to make disciples, then I would like to present to you uh, six others that I think are valid. The first one is from the heart of God. This morning when I woke up uh, a little after six o'clock or a little before, it wasn't 15 seconds and God tapped on my heart and said, 
you need some time with me this morning. I know you've got a message to prepare and, and to finish off, but you need, you need some time with me. And my heart uh, said, yep, I know I do. Boy, do I ever. <laughs> we have a pursuing God. He chased me down. I had a pig farmer when I was in, grade, in, in junior high that chased me and chased me and chased me in the Albert City, Iowa Free Church. He chased, I think he recruited cute girls to come to, to youth group just so I would come. And he chased me and he showed me the heart of God. He showed me the heart of God. We have a pursuing God. And when we sit and we don't get our hands dirty and we shine up our churches and make them neat and tidy, we show people a very untrue picture of our God. Our God is a pursuing God. He chases me still, and I've been walking with him for 40 years, and he chases me every day. Hundreds of times he chases me. He turns my head. He comforts my heart. And then he says in Ephesians 5.1, Be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. And so we must, we must be chasing, pursuing people. We have to be. All of you chuckle when you think of the dogged pursuit of Pastor Carol Miller. Uh, the guy lives on his cell phone and, and, and chases people. He just, he's a chaser. He's not a pastor. He's a chaser. And he, he chases people. And, and that's, that's the heart of God. And that's what it takes to disciple people. They don't just willingly say, okay, I'll become a follower of Christ. We all have to be chased. And that's what God does. And he chases us. And then God further revealed his heart when he sent his son. He didn't send somebody else's son. He sent his son to die for us and to be raised again from the grave. And, and he proved this heart of his to us. He exposed it to us. And he said, this is what, this is what love is. This is the definition of love as a parent, as a husband, as a wife. This is what love is. It's a pursuing, sacrificial love, and I'll model it for you by sending my son. And he said, be ye imitators of me. It is God's heart that we would pursue people with our lives, with our talents, with our time, with our health, with our education, with everything that we have, with our kids, with our marriages, we are to be involved in this pursuit for the sake of evangelism, for the sake of discipling up a world to love and to follow our God. He has a great passion and heart for unbelievers. And this was my greatest shock in getting involved in short-term missions the first few times, was how active and responsive God was to our prayers when it came to chasing after and finding ways to share the gospel with lost people. It shocked me. How much he loved the lost. And I'm a fifth generation. Discipled believer. It shocked me. The second call is from the life of, of our Lord Jesus. Fortunately for us men. 
God left us a, a model. He left us a written record of who he was, the full expression of God in Jesus Christ. And, and he left us this, this written record of the model of the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. In Philippians 2, it talks of him coming to us as a slave. And then he said, follow me. And so if we're not involved in the chafing, in the, in the discomfort of, of being slaves of God, choosing to be slaves of righteousness, choosing to be slaves of servanthood, if we aren't, if we aren't being chafed by that, then, then we're not following Jesus. We just aren't. If there isn't some discomfort, some tensions in your heart about following Christ, then, then you're following the wrong guy. Because his, his life was just full of tensions. And I think those all-nighters, those all-nighters he pulled with the Father, I think they were sorting through some of that. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4, follow me and, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I just don't fish naturally. The farm I grew up on had a quarter mile lane and we didn't get much for traffic. Um, we didn't have much for visitors. So we we just worked. And and so I don't fish very naturally. I I just pretty well like to keep to myself and 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 I like to work and sweat. And you give me 100 hours a week of work to do and no people and I'll be just fine. Just absolutely fine. So this chafes me when Jesus says, follow me, because he said, if, if I would follow him, I didn't have to be bright. I didn't have to be educated. I just had to follow him and he would make me into a fisher of men. And so if you aren't fishing, if I'm not fishing in some way with my life, then then I'm not. I'm not following. I'm not following. And neither are you. Jesus picked up a tag from his enemies. By the time he was done with his ministry, they called him a friend of sinners. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have longevity in my life, in my in my genetics. And so I plan on being here another 40 or 50 years. And and I say that with disgust. I really don't want to be particularly and. By the time I'm done here, I want to pick that tag up. I don't have it yet. I'm a friend of church members. I'm a friend of neat and tidy people. I'm a friend of people that think and believe like I do. Uh, but I don't have the tag. A friend of sinners. I don't. I don't. Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow and follow me. Servanthood, messy situations, being pushed all day by people at a church call me and said, man, we've started reaching out to this community next to us and they're using us. They're using us. We're putting out all this time and effort. And not a one of them's come to church. 
I said, boy, you must be following Christ because you're getting used. Uh, You can pretty well count on getting used if you follow Christ. It's just the way it is. It's the way it is. The third call is the call from Scripture. And we read it to start out. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. and Teach them my ways and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 5.15, we're called to other-centeredness. And that fits well within this command of our Lord. To center our lives on something other than ourselves. To be about the lives of other people. I was leading a Bible study uh, in Clear Lake and we were talking about this absurd concept of the kingdom, voluntary slavery. And uh, it was getting pretty tense in this group. They weren't about to be moved off their pews and out of their comfort zones. And Clear Lake is just kind of that kind of community. And, and so... It, it was uncomfortable in the study, and I got some emails the next morning about 3 a.m. They were still fired up. Um, but one of the couples shared a story. There was a, a couple, a young couple in our church that were newly new believers and had a bunch of little kids, and the husband was hooked on cocaine. And, and uh, this couple in our study took them in and started to minister to them, and, and they shared with our group just how... It just about killed them. They were in their 50s. And this couple showed up at about 8 o'clock or 8.30 every night when they were ready to go to bed. (laughs) And then they stayed until midnight or 12.30 or quarter to one. And and they prayed together and they cried together. And they tried to figure out how to get this young man out of this addiction. And and it was awful. And and just pulled on him and chafed on him and, and stretched him. And... And then they'd show up the next night and they'd be there when they got home from work, waiting on the step, crying and with the kids. And it went on for two years and and it was awful. And then this guy left for Three Hills, Alberta and and seminary. And uh, and he's a pastor out in Nebraska now. And and at the end of that, that story of being pushed and stretched and pulled and and just how awful it was, then they got quiet and they said, Boy, I wish God would send us another Rick and Polly. <laughs> we missed that. Doesn't that. That's just absurd, isn't it? That's just, that just makes no sense at all. <laughs> if you got life all pinned down, if you got God in a nice, neat box that you can figure out, then, boy, you just missed the point because it's a mess. <laughs> this discipleship thing that Jesus put us on to is really messy. And it's it just doesn't fit in any kind of box. I come from science, and in science, everything pretty well makes sense. But, boy, uh, ministry, uh, very little does. Very little does. we just got to always be on our faces before God. And, and I would call you out to that as a congregation. Uh, if you can't figure out anything else to do as far as going and serving the lost, if you can't find where that is right now, if you can't, if you can't figure out how to get outside the church walls uh, with, in ministry, I would encourage you to call some missionary and just ask him. Tell him, I'm going to give you 20 minutes a day on my face before God. What do you need? What do you want me to pray for? 20 minutes is, man, it's a long time. Unless you've got the gift of praying, that's the hardest work I do is getting on my face before God. For an extended period of time. But 
the missions world is crying for it. We've got to have people that don't pray about fluffy stuff, that don't pray, God bless the missionary, but pray for marriages and pray for wisdom in impossible situations and pray for health of children and all those kinds of things. We have to have it. We have to have it. The third, the fourth call is the call from the harvest field. We hear this one in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. And Jesus tells the disciples that the fields are white under harvest. And I don't know of any field. Child evangelism, fellowship, teen challenge, youth for Christ, uh, campus crusade, intervarsity, crisis pregnancy centers, Promise keepers. I, I don't know of any. I don't know of any ministry, nationally or locally. I don't know of any mission field. I don't know of any mission location that we have. I don't know of any any place in ministry that are saying, "No, I. We just have enough. We have enough prayer. We have enough people. We we just don't need anybody else. We don't need anyone else." Uh, I just at a church last. Last Sunday morning, and the Iwana commander, we stayed with him, and he said, Man, we've got all these unbelieving kids coming to church, and we don't have anybody to listen to their verses. They're all in a Bible study. Something wrong with that picture. I'm sorry. Something wrong. Okay? We need we need to be about going and boy, there's a call from the from the ministries that are going on here locally, the ministries that are going on statewide, the ministries that are going on throughout our nation, the ministries that are going on internationally. There is a call to all of us. Please come, please come. Please come. You don't have to be talented or ready Please come. We just need, everybody needs people. They need people. So please come. The fifth call is the call from hell. Kind of an unlikely call. We find it in Luke chapter 16, 27 and 28. If you remember the, the account of, of Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, the rich man died and went into suffering, into Hades, and uh, Lazarus died and went into paradise. And somehow the rich man saw Lazarus over there in the bosom of Abraham. And he, and he screamed for him, Abraham, send him to me. Like he could command someone from where he was at. Send him to me with a drip of water on his finger because I'm so dry. And I need I need someone to quench my thirst. And, and Abraham talked to him so respectfully. He said, son, that's just not possible. There's a chasm between us that can't be crossed anymore. And, and, uh, and so Lazarus, or the rich man, came back with this, with this call, this fifth call from hell. Then please send someone. I have five brothers. Please send someone to my brothers uh, and tell them about this place. If all the other calls don't work, then think of, of someone you know that has recently died without knowing Jesus Christ. And I'll guarantee you, if he were to come back and get two or three minutes with you, 
He wouldn't ask you about Hillary's campaign. He wouldn't ask you about the stock market. He, he wouldn't ask you about, uh, about the Vikings. Uh, he'd be doing the same thing. He'd say, please, please send someone to my family. Please send someone and tell them about this place. We make a very uh, dangerous assumption, and I made it too for, for 35 years. We make a dangerous assumption that the people that don't follow Christ in our culture and society around us just are a little more arrogant than we are. But it's not true at all. The God that they have rejected, the God that they have no desire to curl up next to, the God that they have no desire to surrender to, doesn't even exist. They have such a twisted and perverted view of God. Your neighbors, your family members that don't know Christ, they don't know the God that you know. And so it's very important that you tell them what He's done in your life, and it's very important that you live in such a way that your values and your priorities and the things that matter most to you really trash their values and their priorities. They've got to see you with your sleeves rolled up. They've got to see you sacrificing. That's such a dirty word in our society. They've got to see that in you. They've got to see you going and being about going. They just have to. They have to. We have to show them the heart of God. One of our camps a, a few years back, a captain in the Polish military came. At the end of the camp, it was the first time he'd ever heard the gospel or anything about Jesus. And the last day of Bible study, he said, there's obviously a huge difference between people that know about God and people that know God. And I would ask you this morning, which are you? Do you know a lot about him? Or do you know him? Have you jumped off some cliffs with him recently? Are you using your faith in a way that expresses the love of God? Are you using your prayer times? Are you using your, your checkbook? Are you using the time that you don't have? Are you using your gifts and your talents for the sake of the kingdom? Are you using your faith we just never have enough of anything. We just don't. I've been in this recruitment business long enough for short-term missions. We just never have enough. It's always, well, I don't have, and I don't have, and I don't have, and I don't have, and I don't have. I just don't have. Fortunately, fortunately for us, God doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't have. He just holds us accountable for what we do have. And that's where the sixth call comes from. It's the call from eternity, and it's the call to get ready. A few years back, we were being chafed, particularly by some of the bruises of ministry and some of the losses that we felt like we'd experienced and our staff had experienced and some of the battles we felt like God had lost, and we didn't know how to say that. Uh, and these verses from 2 Corinthians 5... 10 through 11, if you want to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, God used to call us back and to put us back on track again with what he'd asked us to do. 
for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our bodies. It is because we know this solemn fear of the Lord that we work so hard to persuade others. There is a fear of the Lord that is right and good for us, and that is the fear of standing one-on-one -on -one with our Savior and having him recount the way we've used what he gave us from the time we took advantage of the cross until that time when we see him face to face. And uh, that responsibility uh, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Uh, that's ours. That's ours. And we must take that. My mom is is crippled to a point. Of, she's 85 and she used to be this phenomenal cook and and baker and and uh, she loved teaching Bible studies and she just loved all that stuff. And and now she's her eyesight is poor and and her arthritis is awful and she's really, really hoping to go home quickly. And she says, Dar, I just can't do that stuff anymore. I can't go. I can't. And I said, Mom, for crying out loud, you know. You can pray, woman. I mean, when she prays for me, it's like three churches. Uh, she prays for my tongue and my mouth, and she prays. She prays for my attitude, and, and uh, you know, she knows me. She knows me. And uh, there's just always, no matter what age you are, there are always things to apply yourself to going, to going and making disciples of others, and. Uh, she has a caregiver that she prays with, a, a gal from uh, from uh, Laos that works in Mountain Lake, Minnesota. She prays for her and with her and talks to her. And what a great ministry. What a great ministry. Uh, there's just always things to do, always things to do. But we just have to we just have to feel the weight of the cross. We have to get up close to it. It's not reasonable. It makes no sense. If you want it to make sense, it's just never going to. You have to even even chisel out time in your schedule by faith. Uh, you have to we have to use your faith in order to do this. And then you'll find the rewards, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the pleasure of God in your life and what you're involved in, the mess and all the stuff that it requires of you. Uh, you'll find fulfillment beyond anything you could ever chase here. Anything you could ever chase. It was a shock to me at 35. I, I just didn't understand how much God loved the lost until we watched a girl come to Christ that was on my staff. And we watched her start to lead people to Christ. And we watched her start to lead studies. And I watched the transformation of her life. And it just totally redefined for me what being a believer was, what, what, what fulfillment in life was, what satisfaction with life was, what... What kind of things that God wanted me to hunger for and thirst for? This is our calling. This is our calling to be involved in the king's work, to take his heart and show it to people. You've got this many representations of God's heart for this area tomorrow. We just have to. We're losing. We're losing. We must. We must. We must go. We must be involved in ministry as a way of life. We must. We must.